When four friends from Washington, D.C.'s most elite prep school are hacked, they're thrust into a global conspiracy that threatens to expose D.C.'s most influential families. Meet the Daughters of D.C. Listen to Daughters of D.C. on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building resilience. Talking trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony on W4WN, a platform for the unheard. Good evening, America. Good morning, Australia. You're listening to Radio Tony with your host, Tony Lontis, and we're live on the Women for Women's Network, Radio 4 AUS. And today is Thursday in Australia, Wednesday evening for you in America. And I have it on good note that the Dodgers apparently won the World Series, and that is huge. Not that I follow baseball, but I thought I'd impress you with my baseball knowledge. Um, We've had a few technical issues getting live on the show this morning, and I apologise for that. Uh, It seems that Mercury Retrograde is having all sorts of fun with communication and technology at the moment, and I, for one... I can't wait for it to be over. Now, just a reminder that you uh, can find out all about Radio Tony, what's coming up and anything else of interest on RadioTony.com. Just a quick mention, we've just launched my first course, Online Radio and Podcasting Made Easy. I will put the uh, information in the chat box as we go along we've also got radio tony facebook page i'm on instagram linkedin twitter youtube and of course you can find me on iheart and apple and anywhere you get your good podcast that is the podcast of the live show now this morning we have another amazing author to introduce to you Dr. Eric Monshine is the author and education consultant. He has a bachelor's degree in political science from the American University, a master's degree in delinquency prevention, and a doctorate in law and education from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Dr. Eric has taught law and education at undergraduate and graduate levels at the University of Massachusetts, the American University in Washington, D.C., and the State University of New York in Albany. 
He's worked for the U.S. government in various capacities, published and edited numerous articles and books in various areas of law and education, written, managed numerous grants from private and public sectors. He's directed an award-winning law-related education program for the New York State Bar Association from 1980 through to 1994, where he managed and developed many programs in the areas of constitutional, international, environmental and education law, as well as all areas of civil and criminal law. From 1995 to 2006, he served as an advisor for the external affairs in Haiti, and Israel, where he advised the governing board of an international non-governmental organisation in the area of external affairs, including government relationships, security, and provided analysis of human rights situations in selected countries throughout the world in general, particularly in Iran and the Middle East. He served as a citizen representative of the Postar Editorial Board from 2009 to 2019 and he is the author of Life at 12 College Road published by Soup or Something or Other Publishing which is a collection of short stories about growing up in America in the 1950s and 60s. He's also a co-author with Ellery M. Rick Miller Jr. on Sexual Harassment and Bullying Similar but Not the Same and the accompanying teaching supplement published by the Education Law Association in 2015. He's also had short story Dinner at Grandma's included in the 25 servings of soup, that's something or other publishing, an anthology of short stories uh, published in spring of 2020 about family, coming of age, and the unique politics of the family in the 1950s. He currently, currently resides in the Arundel Mountains in upstate New York with his wife Ginny. They have two grown children, Adam and Emily, a son-in-law Kamal and a daughter-in-law Yanni, and grandchildren Annie, Nathaniel and Eli. Welcome to the show, Eric. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. I actually am reading and um, having done a little bit of research from you, and I know that we're here to talk about the book and about you, but I'm really fascinated about uh, American politics and law right at this moment, and I'm wondering if you'd be so kind as to uh, talk with me a little bit about that this morning. Would you op- open to that, Eric? I'm, I'm willing to answer any of your questions to the best of my ability. (laughs) We are so close. And when I say we, that is the metaphorical we. I'm in Australia, obviously. I'm not voting in the American election. But I am looking on from the outside with uh, pain in my heart for the American people and wondering if if Americans will ever be able to see good leadership again. What do you think, Dr. Eric? Well, I can say that the, the country is divided, uh, probably yes. more so now than it has been in a while. 
at yeah. the same time, uh, I think that things have have truly gotten blown out of out of context. But that, that's that's yeah. what happens when emotions run deep and and are heavy. Uh, people begin yeah. to take sides. It's it's a sad situation, really, where you see families actually being torn apart, which is truly unfortunate because uh, yeah. it used to be where you could you could disagree with your friends and then get together for dinner. And now it's if you disagree yeah. with me, not only are you wrong, but you're somehow evil, and and that's really unfortunate. Yeah. And yet, that's where it appears we are today. Uh, whether or not there's going to be any change, I don't know. Whether or not that change would really truly make a difference at this stage, I honestly don't know. Uh, uh, you know, we could we could make a list of. Excuse me. I have to agree. From the outside looking in, uh, I feel just heartsick for America. I feel heartsick for your people. I feel heartsick to see the division, and I don't know that there are good alternatives for you because uh, both sides of your um, politics seem to be particularly. And then you add into that what's happening at a Supreme Court level, and it's really, it must be distressing for. Uh, wonderful, amazing, intellectual people like yourself to well, yeah, see what's yeah, uh, in both of those spaces? Well, you know, you you bring up the Supreme Court, and, and I think one of the things that and, – and this is where I may fall back on, on my legal education, and that is yeah. there's what we would like, what we would hope, and then there's the law. And you know, yeah. I always taught. I always told my students, "There's, there's fair and unfair. There's right and wrong, and there's legal and illegal. And sometimes, what's unfair, and what seems to be wrong, is legal, and and vice versa. Yeah. And right now, we're dealing yeah. with a situation that, under normal circumstances. The woman who yes. has just become a justice of the Supreme Court, Justice Barrett, who, uh, looking strictly from you know qualifications, is eminently qualified, is a legal scholar, yes. is brilliant, yes. and from everything that I know, which is not much, she seems to be a very nice person, uh, yes. as as well as a mother. Uh, yes. uh, what I always learned. And what I taught my students is, you, you know, there's a, there's a phrase, elections have consequences. And the president of the United States is entitled to appoint whomever he or she wants to the Supreme Court yeah. with the advice and consent of yeah. the Senate. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what this president did. And as, as Justice Ginsburg had said before she passed away, the president of the United States serves for four years. Yes. And he is all of the rights and privileges and responsibilities of those four years go until the morning of January 20th when a new president is sworn in. Yes. So he's president. It doesn't matter whether it's yeah. a day before the election or two years before the election. Now, one of the things that we have to understand in our Constitution and what makes it legal is that 
the president is from one party this particular time. He's Republican. The Senate is controlled at this particular time by the Republican Party. He wants to nominate a person for the court. And the Senate gave its advice and consent. And as a Republican Senate, they voted to confirm. Now, when President Obama appointed or tried to appoint uh, a justice, uh, the Senate was not controlled by the Democrats. It was controlled by the Republicans, and they didn't want to do it. Now, is that right or wrong? Well, that's a political question, and and the people have to make that determination. Is it legal? Yes, it was legal. It was legal not to bring up a vote, just as it was legal to bring up the vote this time. And they did. And we have now uh, Justice uh, Barrett on the court. Now, one of the things that I have been personally disturbed about is that mm-hmm. when, you, when a person serves on the court, or in really almost any court in the United States, they are supposed to judge a situation on the facts, on the merits, and on the law. And to presume that they don't does a disservice not only to the individual, but to the judicial system in the United States. And one of the things that I think we need to remember is Justice Barrett is a legal scholar. She's a professional. She believes in in implementing and exercising her rights as a judge in interpreting the law. And she doesn't believe in making law. Now, she happens Uh to be what we call in the United States a strict constructionist. In other words, what the law says is what it would be interpreted to mean. And that Mm -hmm. if people don't like the law, it's up to the legislative branch to change the law, not the courts. The courts implement – the courts judge whether a law is constitutional or not. I'm referring to the Supreme Court. If you don't like a law, have Congress change it, and then the court will determine whether or not that change is constitutional. And we've gotten to a point where because we don't like something, we want, you know, we want people to do things about it, and really sometimes they don't have the authority to do that. And we've gotten a little bit confused, and I think we've personalized – a lot of these situations rather than looking at them from an institutional point of view. Now, sometimes that can be very cold and calculating, but sometimes that's actually what's needed so that we can protect ourselves from high emotions. And right now, emotions are running high. So, you know, I I wish I could give you a different answer, but I I have to look at it that way. So from from a legal point of view... There was nothing that was done that was incorrect. What? From a legal perspective, you have confidence in that appointment or that she will do the job that she is employed and have confidence in that is is essentially what you're saying, yeah? Yeah, based on her record and based on what people who know her have said, uh, yes, I do. And she was given one of the highest ratings from the American Bar Association. So except for people not liking her political philosophy, if you will. But, you know, what someone feels as a judge, you know, personally, 
a lot of times when they get to court and they make a decision, that doesn't, it, yeah. it's not the same. And I yeah, think in some I cases, I mean, one of the examples we have is Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, who was appointed yeah. by a Republican who everybody considers a conservative, and yet it was his dis- his deciding vote that still up ca- up upheld the uh, what we call in the states Obamacare. Everybody was con- I mean, if he had if he had voted the way everybody thinks a Republican or a conservative is supposed to vote, he would have voted against it. He didn't. So yeah. you know, again, it's yeah. it's more of an issue That's of encouraging to hear. Well, I think we. Yeah, I think we have to be in that sense because we're doing a disservice to to all of the judges sitting on the bench. I don't think people realize it, but when you allege that the judges are only going to vote a certain way because they happen to have been appointed by a Republican, then it implies that when the Democrats appoint judges, they're only appointing ideologues. Well, I would hope that's not the case. But, you know, so that's where we are. And it's it is truly a, a, a divided nation at this time. And unfortunately, emotions are running high and calm, rational, reasonable thought doesn't seem to be in the picture anymore. So that's where we are right now. And uh, with with the the situation with the COVID virus and people being already upset and scared and not knowing what's going to happen, it has not helped the matter. No. And the level of conspiracy theory and the numbers that are cooked and, and those that sort of rhetoric is not helping at all. No, none of it. None of it is none um, and, of it's healthy. And 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 uh-huh. the 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 inaccurate information and the allegations, whether it's you know, on from either from other from any yeah. side has not been helpful. Yeah. No. Um, not at, all. at the end of the day there's a huge amount of Americans still dying. Yes. And that's going to be of concern, I think. Well, yeah, there are still a lot of Americans dying. At the same time, the number of people who are testing positive is going up. And some people say it's because there's more testing being done. But one of the one of the, the things is is that there seems to be at least from the information I have there seems to be uh, less the, the the death rate as bad as it is is not as bad as it was in the spring. So yeah. something something is going on that there we still don't know about. People are still dying. I mean, this is something no. I don't want to catch. <laughs> I, I don't want to no. get it. So no. and and, no. and people don't know, and we and we don't know how long it's going to be. And the sad part. And and I can speak to this with with some of my other uh, background, is that what we're not hearing about is the fact that many people have lost their jobs, yeah. and alcoholism is up, spousal yeah. abuse is up, child abuse is up, the suicide rate is up, the the yeah. the casualties the collateral damage of this disease isn't just the disease there are many things happening that Correct. keeping us locked down is is causing a lot of concern as well and and yeah. you know people don't know how there's to deal actually, with that there's actually um, more reasons to isolate lockdowns to specific areas of outbreak 
and let everyone else wear masks, do social distancing and do normal precautions. So there's there's a balance there that yeah. um, I know that we've achieved in Australia, um, but I'm not sure other places across the world um, have done it. But we're lucky. We have a small population, a big country, um, and that protects us in some yes, way. Yes, it does. Um, yeah, now I live, I live in upstate New York. I mean, usually when yeah. people say you're from New York, you think of New York City. And I actually live closer to Montreal, Canada than I do New York City. And it's the mountains yeah. and it's gorgeous. And yeah. it's yeah. it's it's suburban rural. And so yeah. we don't have a lot of people. And the situation where I am, the the schools are open, the kids are yeah. going to school, uh, and and where my wife is, you know, they're they're going to school. They haven't had anyone even test positive. Uh, we have had yeah. uh, a handful of cases in Warren County where I live, and uh-huh. I don't believe we've had more than one death, which since the beginning. So, you know, that's very good, and people try and do as they're told, and we wear masks, yeah. and, and yeah. we, you know, wash our hands, and we stay out of, yeah. out of, of, of areas with lots of people. gathering. Yeah. yeah, we just don't do it. And, you know, my wife and I, and I know it's sad for the, for the, for business, but uh, we don't eat out. We eat at home. I yeah. go to the, you know, we go to the grocery store, we go to the gas station, uh, we go for rides, but I, I, until things are settled, you know, we're not really going to be doing much yeah. and that's I'm reality and it's, it. and it's, t- and it yeah. really stinks. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we've been living pretty much the same. Um, thankfully, I am uh, online. My business is online. Um, and we are working from home and we live rurally. Uh, yeah. We have plenty of space around us. So, yeah, we're, we're in the same boat as you and we're just sitting back and watching. We're careful about, you know, the number of times we go out and, and if we, you know, go into public places, that sort of thing, just yeah. watching and waiting to see what what will happen with it. And and and, and sadly that's all we can do. Yes, I agree. So, you know, I'm and and I take my uh, my hat off, if you will, to the people in the first lines, the the doctors and yes. the nurses and those essential workers. Uh, yeah. It's not easy. I mean, I'm, I even am humbled by my fact that my wife has to go to work, and she's a curriculum coordinator in the local school, and you know, she's in she's in school. So, yeah. and and I will admit that does make me sometimes a little stressed out because I, I couldn't tell say, her when she comes home she has to live in the basement. Right? Excuse me. <laughs> Goodness gracious me! Now. Thank you so much for indulging me in a okay. political uh, law discussion. But I really want to get back to your latest book, which is Life at 12 College Road. Can you tell me about the book? Okay. Uh, first of all, the book Life at 12 College Road is about growing up in the 50s and 60s in basically a rural suburban area, and it could be anywhere. But the book is a collection of 33 short stories, if you will, which can be read individually or taken as a whole. They paint a mosaic of a time and place. 
that's both familiar and distant. And and I really do believe it's something that even if if young people, we still go through the same types of things growing up. We we yeah. deal with our relationships with our with our uh, sisters and our brothers and our our mom and dad and our friends and we get ourselves involved in many different things and and that's basically what I did is I, I took an, uh, a gander at my life and I guess first I'll, I'll start by saying this was not something I intended to write what I intended to write was was this great adventure thriller that I went to a <laughs> I went to a writing workshop and had actually written three chapters and some of it dealt with because I was overseas and I was dealing with issues of security and I thought this would be really fun. And I went back to, to do some writing in my room and I basically fell asleep and whether or not it was a dream or whether it was in that, that, you know, that time just before you wake up, are you awake? Are you still asleep? And what I saw was I found myself sitting at the dining room table where I grew up and all the other chairs, my mom, my dad, my brother's chairs were all turned in so that the ladder backs were on the table. And I realized Uh that I was alone, that they have all passed away. you know, gone on for that the next adventure, leaving me behind. I mean, even my dog has passed away, and I was an orphan. Now I have a wonderful family, and I have grandchildren, yeah. but I, you know, I'm an orphan. I just have it's yeah. just me now. And at that moment, I just felt that I had to write about my relationships and growing up. And so that's that's what Life at 12 College Road is about. And it's about the adventures of a young boy. Uh, yes, there are fire trucks and there are police sirens and there's yeah. wild adventures. But it's also about relationships and about, you know, what looking at my mom and dad and my brother and, and how we dealt with life. And that's really what Life at 12 College Road is about. And one of the things I found was that my writing about my experiences and people who've read the book have let me know that it, rem- it it brought up things in their own lives that they remembered. And so if my memories can help them come up with things that were a part of their past, because I also believe that, you know, our memories assist us and help us in becoming who we are and who we will be. And it isn't always the most grandiose things that happened in your life. It's little things that with time you forget about. And when you remember, you find out that they actually mean more to you than some of the other accolades that you may have received. You know, it could have been just the simple uh, when you were hurt as a child and your mother was holding you or when when you did something hysterical and only you and your brother understood and you broke out in laughter that went on for way longer than it should have and that these are the things you remember when they're when they're gone and there are also sad times that you remember uh you know so that that's what i tried to do in life at 12 college road I understand also that your son um, helped you produce the audio version. Oh, my right? son, yes. We do have an audio version. My son, uh, Adam Monshine, is an actor. Yes. 
and he has done voiceover. And his reading of the book just – I couldn't have asked for a better reader. He knew. He had all the inflections that were mine. He hit every note, if you will, and it made it extra special for me that that one that he really wanted to read it and that that I was honored that he did so that to me was special absolutely when I um, was reading that he'd done that for you I thought what a legacy to leave the grandchildren yes the book and that he then went on to um, narrate the video version like that's a that's a, a powerfully amazing thing to leave the next generations, isn't it? Yeah, it was. And one of the things, my, my granddaughter, Annie, who's now 13, yes. uh, and at that age, uh, I think when she was 12, my daughter, her mom, let her read my book, Life at 12 College Road. Uh, All right. And she read it. And she absolutely loved it. And that really – that meant a lot to me that she thought it was really, really good. And she's a vociferous reader. She's read every Harry Potter book. She's – I mean she just reads. And she and she really said she loved my book. And that, that meant a lot to me. So I was, I was quite pleased at that. So it's actually become an, an intergenerational – uh, project, if you will, with yes. lots of family involvement, and and what a wonderful thing to have done. Well, you know, and that's, you know, every author wants people to read their book. Yes, uh, that's why you know we, in some cases, that's why we write. But I really yes. wrote this, and and I guess in one sense, my wife was always encouraging me to do this because I would always just tell stories about growing up and people like and people like listening to these stories and i think one of the the, the, there were two comments that i got in reviews of my book that really touched me one was a person compared me to garrison keeler and i would never put myself in that category except that my writing style is one of storytelling and that's and i always enjoyed garrison keeler and he's a for people who don't know, he's an American writer who has done a lot of writing about family and and things yes. growing up. And the other is uh, a review that said that uh, my my book, Life at Twelve College Road, was a Norman Rockwell painting in words. And Norman Rockwell oh. is a famous American uh, artist who wrote uh, who drew pictures and and drew images. Of American life, and back from the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and and the 60s, which I felt was for me was you know that was the nicest thing that someone could say in reviewing the book. So it, it was a different time um, for uh, the world. It was a different different place. Um, you know, yes. It was, and it was. It was before the internet, and it was before videos, and it it was, you know. And I don't want to say this. In order to have fun growing up, we had to be incredibly creative, and I can remember having more fun with getting a box 
that my parents had bought a refrigerator and this crate came. And that crate turned into a submarine, an airplane, a castle. We didn't have any of the fancy toys. So, you know, we did do that. And at the same time, the things, the emotional issues that you have growing up back in the 50s and 60s, they haven't changed. Human beings go through the same kinds of, of, of emotional ups and downs, regardless of what generation we are. Uh, sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it's, it's more connected. Uh, but I think in, in some ways, there's a lot we share in common, each generation to the next. Yeah, yeah. How long did it take you to write Life at 12 College Road? Uh, I would say from beginning to end, three years. Uh, Yeah, I I would say once I started writing and it became something that something or other publishing was actually interested in, then I realized I had to finish it. So I had to really buckle down and get the rest (laughs) of the chapters written. (laughs) And so that, that started the process. And then I would say out of the three years, the last nine months was the editing process. And yeah. uh, the relationship I had with the editor that they gave me, who was a screenwriter himself, uh, Michael Schindler, was phenomenal. It was the, one of the best learning experiences I had, although incredibly painful when you see yes. all of the chapters that didn't make the book. And that's, that's painful yeah, because, know. you know, it's your baby. You've got to cut them out. You've got to cut them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah it, for me, that's the most challenging part yes is the whole editing it's brutal i found it brutal it it is brutal and and that's why i had to tell that bit and the editor would go no you don't i need to do yeah my editor was phenomenal and he was able to use a scalpel on me Without my understanding, I was in pain until usually we stopped talking. And then I realized how much he had just brutalized me. <laughs> but it was good. And I did. And he made it better and he made my writing better. And uh, what I loved about it was he was able to make suggestions that didn't change my voice in the book. Yes. And that, that I appreciated. I know that you've written lots of articles um, and you've got a very long, distinguished career. I wanted to particularly ask you about the co-authored work you did around the um, subject of sexual harassment and bullying. Okay. Um, And can you tell me about the process of doing and being involved in that? Well, yeah. uh, Dealing with uh, sexual harassment and sexual discrimination was, was for, many, for many years, part of my job. Uh, I used to work for the U.S. Office for Civil Rights, and I've always had an interest, and it's been a concern of mine dealing with sexual harassment and the equality of men and women. Yes. And my friend, Rick Miller, uh, mm-hmm. We've been friends now for over 40 years, and he was in the same line of work, if you will. Uh, He was directing a law program in Maryland. I was directing the program in New York, and we started doing a lot of things together. And this was an area that we were both concerned about. Uh, And so when I got back from from Israel, 
having been there for 11 years, we started doing some consulting and on this very topic. Uh, and we did it with schools. And, and we dealt with bullying and sexual harassment. Uh, and people really liked what we were doing. And they encouraged us. And the Education Law Association, which is a professional association that's with uh, educators, attorneys, and law professors, and professors of education. And they suggested and convinced us to write the book. So we did. And, you know, it, it was very well received. And it, it examines, it examines uh, the two issues of sexual harassment and bullying. And we know bullying is a, is, has been horrendous in, in, the, in school. And what we also tried to explain was many people started – everything became bullying. And the one thing we tried to point out is in the United States, sexual harassment – is prohibited by law, and under Title IX, it's a, it's a, it violates federal law, and then many states have their own state laws, which also means th there's liability for violating yes. someone, you know, sexually harassing someone. Where bullying, for the most part, is something that people don't like, but there were no laws, no punishments for bullying. You know, this was something you just didn't do. And which was changing a mindset, whereas, you know, there used to be, well, at least in the States, you know, people would say, well, boys will be boys. And they yeah. would pick on people, smaller than, well, boys will be boys. No, it's inappropriate. At the same time, what ended up happening was everything got thrown under the, the, the title, if you will, of bullying. When things were sexually har sexual harassment, it may be a form of bullying, but it's more than that, and it has to be dealt with. The law requires that it be dealt with, and so we tried putting together the law in the books so that people understood what the legal requirements were, what actions had to be taken, and then suggestions and guidelines of what you would do if you had to uh, – you know, deal with a situation of bullying or sexual harassment. And so that's what we did. That's what the books were about. Yeah. yeah. In Unless you have specifics, I don't know. Excuse me? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. In terms of sexual harassment across America, yeah. do you think that things are improving? <sighs> well, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, the, there has been a great improvement over a long span of a period of time. Yes, things are a little bit better than they were 20 years ago. Uh, okay. Society is now recognized that it's not something that should be tolerated. That's an improvement. Uh, in the workplace, there is a recognition that you shouldn't be doing it, that's a great improvement where not only was it accepted, but it was sort of like, you know, well, why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we do it? That's changed. So, yes, there's been, there's been improvement. More needs to be done. Uh, a lot more needs to be done. Yeah. I, I, have, I, have, I have little patience for, for it, and I see it too often, and I yes. see the smirk. And I say, oh, come on, you know. And no, it's not. I mean, sexual harassment, by definition, is unwanted behavior. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Now, if two people want something, it's not sexual harassment. No. But now, my wife always laughed and said that I could, I could, I could never be sexually harassed because I would never not want it, and that she's being she's being funny about it. But there is that aspect to it, so it doesn't yeah. it doesn't curtail people dating or whatever relationships we we would consider normal. Yeah. But it has to truly be wanted. And one of the things that you look at in an employment situation is when you have a supervisor and an employee. That is not an equal relationship. Oh, they're in a So you don't presume that it's wanted. The presumption is that it's not. And yeah. if you go on that behavior or that that premise, things usually work out better. But yes. unfortunately, you know, people are people, and yes. we they do stupid things. Yeah, yeah, uh, and still, too many silly things happen um, from. From a, a woman's perspective, the oh, absolutely, and it's not even silly. I mean, it's outrageous. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. out it's outrageous. And then when you get younger children, and you deal with the bullying, I mean, people must have to realize, and this is something I don't know if people grasp. Boys bully, yes. But one of the things they have noticed, and they've been able to determine the differences in the sexes, if you will, yes. is that a lot of times boys bully physically. And a lot of times, sometimes they'll get into a fight, and then you'll find out that these two end up being the best of friends. It's hard to figure out. Yes. With girls, what they found, and I'm saying girls because I'm talking about young young children. Yeah. They bully almost in packs. Yes. And it would be a group of girls against one. Yes. And the bullying is emotional. It's psychological. And it is so much more harmful. Horrible. Horrible. And, and I mean, you have suicides. I mean, you know, yeah. young girls commit suicide because of this. And this is a really, it's a very serious situation. It's not something that can be sloughed off or, or discounted. I mean, young people have, have, they can't take it. And I don't blame them when you, yeah. when you because see something. Because they haven't got the emotional maturity no. to deal with it. And, and it's so prolific. And with uh, social media and the internet, it's oh, so much it, it's terrible. harder to manage. Um, I, I know myself, I've had a big discussion currently on LinkedIn because I posted about uh, the unwanted advances of men on LinkedIn. Uh, and, and my first premise is always to be kind. Right. Um, so I get lots and lots of requests and I am a pretty intelligent gal and I usually realize where that's headed. So I make it very clear. This is a professional platform. I am mm-hmm. happily married. I am happy to connect with you and talk on a professional level, but that's it. Right. The responses that I get to some of those conversations is nothing short of appalling. So I'd I had know. enough one evening and I actually posted that this particular uh, gentleman, oh, probably gentleman's not the word to use, but he'd responded swearing at me when I'd said exactly that. I'd put up a very firm professional boundary and he'd come back with rhetoric that was just not acceptable. And I thought, I need to talk about this. And and the number of women that contacted me, the number of young women that said, oh, my God, mm-hmm. we get this all the time. And I'm like, 
so it's now gone from a physical world to the online world and, and it's danger it, it's it's worse it's, it's sexual harassment it's yeah, well, no yes it is yes it is and it's unfortunately most people who are are harassed online male or female yes one they don't know what to do a lot of times Correct. or they they don't want to say anything yeah 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 and most people don't want to say anything. One, oh, it makes right. you look bad. You yeah. feel bad. Then yeah. you first you start questioning yourself as to whether or not am I being oversensitive. Well, no, Absolutely. you're not. They're being pigs and it's unacceptable. I mean that's yeah. really what it comes down to. Absolutely. And Absolutely. somehow on the internet, even people who ordinarily would never think of being rude or classless are – and I don't know if there's something about anonymity that empowers people who I would say are dealing with issues to begin with. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, I try and always come from that perspective that um, they may not realize they may have something else going on. But I think that it's, you know, more than fair to put that boundary in place to begin with. And then to for someone to come back at you and attack you for that very boundary that you've put in place. And I know it happens so regularly, Doctor Eric. Like it just. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I honestly don't know how to respond to that because it's so foreign. And in some ways, I honestly have to tell you, it's how people are brought up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I ever did anything like that, my mother, let alone my father would have boxed my ears in yes. you just don't do that yes. Yes. and and you you know you you have to be taught that and it has to be internalized yes. otherwise i don't know how people i don't know how people act that way towards other people to be honest with you i'm with you i i i again i'm a kind gentle soul so for uh it's hard for me to understand why you would speak and behave in that way to someone you don't know I know. I know. But at the same time, you really can't put up with it. You can't. And and I I mean, and for you and your position, it becomes more complicated. I was going to say years ago, I would have just, you know, banned and blocked. But Mm -hmm. now I think that I have enough self-confidence to understand that I have to speak up for the benefit of men and women across the world. Um, Dr. Eric, we are just about out of time. I cannot believe this show has gone so quickly. I could keep talking to you for at least another hour. What a genuine, divine pleasure it is to spend time with you live well, on I've, Radio. I've today. truly enjoyed it, and it was it was really a pleasure getting to know you, Tony. Oh, thank you. Now, for our listeners, I have put up all the links to Dr. Eric's wonderful book, 12 College Road, and also the sexual harassment and bullying um, published in 2015. Please connect with Dr. Eric by the book, 12 College Road. It's an amazing uh, look into life in the 1950s and 60s and beautifully written. Dr. Well, Eric, thank you. 
Sunshine, thank you so much for being on Radio Tony today. We are completely out of time. Um, I will look forward to an ongoing uh, conversation with you at another state. Thank you so much for your time. Wonderful people listening today. Thank you for listening to Radio Tony. This is your host, Tony Lontis, and that's our lot for this week. Bye for now. Radio Tony, your safe space for tough conversations. Exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony, a platform for the unheard. Radio Tony. With Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio 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 Tony. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Mom.